great honor and a privilege to be before you tonight to preach Christ and Him crucified. If you would, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be in those first nine verses. Again, studying as we have been uh, on our regularly scheduled Wednesday nights, these prayers of Paul in the New Testament, seeing how they might motivate our prayer lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read those first nine verses and then I will pray. And then we will dive in. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, so that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled again to be meeting together as your people called about uh, to worship the name of our Savior. We pray now as we're in your word that we would see how this prayer might motivate us to pray for others, others that you have called out of darkness into light. I pray that you would preach uh, through me. I pray that I would have... Uh, compassion. I pray that I would have uh, strength and boldness. I pray uh, that Christ and the gospel would be preached and it would motivate our prayers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last Thursday, there was a debate uh, between two candidates for a Senate seat in Wisconsin, and the moderators asked this final question. When we traveled around the state talking to voters, we heard repeatedly that people are tired of divisive politics and attack ads. So our final question here tonight is, both of you have been successful in life. What do you find admirable about your opponent? The current lieutenant governor who is trailing behind the incumbent candidate answered, I do think the senator has proven to be a family man, and I think that's admirable. That's absolutely to be respected. He speaks about his family. He's done a lot to provide for them, and I absolutely respect that. The incumbent, to close the debate, responded, Likewise, I appreciate the fact that the lieutenant governor had loving parents, a school teacher, a father who worked third shift, so he had a good upbringing. I guess what puzzles me is that with this upbringing, why has he turned against America? Why does he find America awful? The crowd did not like the incumbent's response. The moderators asked, uh, wanted the, to end the debate on a note of appreciation for the persons, not uh, a debate about the positions that were engaged in the debate. And the one candidate graciously understood that there was value to his opponent that went uh, to his uh, nature as a human being and as an American, and the other exemplified the kind of ungracious and unappreciative spirit so often on display in political discourse. Friends, but I wonder how many of us talk about our fellow Christians or fellow churches in a similar way. I wonder how many of us in our minds and with our mouths are quick to point out what we think is wrong with another or wrong with another church rather than to be thankful for that church or for that Christian. 
I think in this passage we see uh, very plainly Paul is thankful to God that the Corinthian church has been saved, is being sanctified, and will be sustained to the very end. Uh, Corinth was a a diverse city, many cultures, many religious backgrounds. Uh, There were among this congregation idol worshipers, businessmen, male and female uh, prostitutes, Jews and Greeks. So Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila spent 18 months or so in Corinth where Paul would say that he planted and later Apollos watered. He writes this letter during his three-year stay in Ephesus, and it is very clear the church has things they need to work on. The Corinthian church was arrogant and divided. If ever there was a church to speak negatively of or to think negatively of, it was the Corinthian church. The Corinthians were fighting over who baptized them. They were tolerating and even boasting about sexual immorality among their members. They were suing one another. There were marriage issues. They were getting drunk uh, on the Lord's Supper. They were fighting over the significance of spiritual gifts, and it seems there was some level of doubt or misunderstanding about the resurrection. When we understand the Corinthian church, I think we are struck by Paul's first words here in these nine verses. I don't know many churches in this area that preach a true gospel, that do indeed preach a true gospel as they did in Corinth, but have as many problems as they did in Corinth. And despite their issues and despite Paul's necessary rebuke to them throughout the letter, he starts, he is thankful to God for this congregation. From this passage, friends, I think we should be encouraged and should thank God for what he is doing in our church and in other churches to save sinners and complete a great work through them. And we should pray for those churches. Paul says in, that, uh, in verse 4 that he gives thanks always for the Corinthians. And this comes right after, if you look at those first three verses, his, his greeting. In verse 2, he highlights that the church is full of those who have been sanctified and who are called saints. And then the second part of verse 2, he wants to kind of lift their eyes and help them understand they're a part of something greater. There are saints in other places. They are, as he says, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. This one church in Corinth is part of a much larger work of God. There are churches all around filled with saints who have been saved and set apart just like these Corinthians or just like us Rockhillians. The Corinthian church needed a bit of humbling. They aren't the only congregation the Lord has saved and given spiritual gifts to. Friends, we should likewise be humbled and encouraged when we read this. In God's grace, he has sustained Park Baptist Church and in these recent years uh, built and, 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 and developed a healthy church with its hands in the nations. But let us, friends, not think that we are the only tool in the tool belt. And likewise, uh, let's recognize it may be discouraging to be at such a healthy church as Park. Maybe you've thought to yourself, especially if you're in a life stage like mine where you might move or or you're younger and you might move and find a new hometown here soon, maybe easier to think, am I a member of the only church in that healthy church in Rock Hill or in York County? Or am I... I could never move away from Rock Hill. There's no, I may never find a healthy church again. Friend, be encouraged. God builds his church all over. Saints are called out together from all over. Just because churches do differently, uh, do things differently than we do, does not mean that God uh, is not at work in that church. 
Paul's words in verse 4, I give thanks. This is the main theme of these verses. Paul is clear. He gives thanks to God, not to the Corinthians. Because God gave them grace. Grace was given to them in Christ Jesus. Those who are saints, those who are sanctified, as he said in verse 2, these are titles because they have been given grace. They, are, they have been changed by that grace. When Paul first thinks of the church of God in Corinth, with its many flaws, he is not discouraged or disappointed. Or as one commentator put it quite well, the very existence of their faith outweighs any disappointment or anguish which their less than appropriate attitudes and at times lifestyles bring. In other words, their salvation was more relevant. He was more thankful for their salvation, wanted to speak to that before he spoke to their immaturity. Paul thinks of Corinth. He thinks of people who have been saved by grace given to them uh, from God through Jesus. He is thankful to God that they have been saved. These are great words of application for us this evening. When you think of other churches in this area or your hometown, what is the first thing that you think about? Do you first think about those members for their many flaws were once dead in their sins? I promise you no matter what problems a church has, their first and most glaring problem has already been solved. No group is as bad off now as, Paul, uh, as, as they were. Paul says grace has been given to them. These Corinthians were dead in their sins, now they are alive. Yes, they were dead, now they're alive, they need to clean up their diet, they need to work on their health, but God has given them life. But maybe you're here this evening and you find all this talk strange, you're not quite understanding. Maybe you thought Christians were in the competition business, churches trying to outgrow the other. You don't understand why we would think it is good to uh, be thankful for another church right down the street and in fact pray for them. Well, friends, we understand salvation to be the most significant event to happen in a person's life. And therefore, when a group of persons comes together and make a church, we understand that all of them, the most significant fact about them is that they have been given grace, as Paul says, by God. Friends, when we are born, we are born into a fallen and sinful world because God created the world perfect, but our first parents, the first humans, Adam and Eve, that ever existed, they lived in a world of bliss and harmony, but they disobeyed God. They sinned by rejecting what God had told them to do, and it has fractured the world, and we are born into this world, and we have certainly contributed to this world. We, like Adam and Eve, have rejected God. We have sinned against him and are deserving of an eternal conscious hell. So friend, our salvation is the most significant fact about our lives because God in his kindness has sent his son to secure our salvation. The Lord Jesus came. Grace was given to us through the Lord Christ Jesus because he came to make us alive. He is God in the flesh. He was born. He lived perfect, uh, in perfect obedience to God. He died a sacrificial death on the cross and God raised him from the dead because his sacrifice was accepted as payment for our sins. He died in our place. Maybe you're here and you're wondering why we would gather two or three times a week as a church, why we would get together on a random Wednesday night in October to pray. Friends, it is because in Christ we have received this grace. Christ took on the punishment we deserved and we have received the reward of his perfection. Anyone can receive this. You too can be saved, just like the Christians in the Corinthian church and the Christians in the Park Baptist church. 
I or, or I myself, any one of the pastors, any one of the members gathered here to pray tonight would love to speak to you about that, would love to speak to you how you could be, as Paul said, numbered among those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. Paul thinks of Corinth, and he is thankful that God has given grace to that group of believers, that they have been brought from darkness into light. Paul prays in thanksgiving. This church, with all of its problems, was destined for hell, but now it is destined for heaven. I wonder how this perspective would motivate and help you to think and pray about other, about other churches and other Christians. Paul goes on to say in verse 5, he is thankful because they have been enriched with right speech and knowledge. It's interesting, the very thing dividing the church is what Paul says he is, is thankful for. Speech or utterance or tongues and knowledge. God has enriched them with these spiritual gifts, which he is building up the church, this church, which they were abusing. And then in verse 6, though, he gave them, he enriched them with these spiritual gifts to build up the church. But in verse 6, he highlights that it actually confirms them as a church or confirms them as having faith in Christ. The presence of these spiritual gifts is a sign of their uh, truly having received the gospel. So Paul, in verse, here in verses 5 and 6, is saying that God's rich blessings of gifts is a sign of their salvation. These gifts are also meant to be, though, a sign and a means of their sanctification. Paul's thankful for the church that they have been saved, but he's also thankful that they are being sanctified. The gifts that God gives his people are meant to serve as a testimony to their faith. And they also, in the here and now, day after day, serve to build up each church. Gifts are not meant to make one jealous, but to make the whole body of Christ in the church zealous for the Lord. Paul tells the church in verse 7 that God gives spiritual gifts to the church so that we are not lacking in any gift. God gives gifts to each individual differently out of his grace to strengthen the body and build up the church. This is what he will argue at length in Ephesians 4. There he says that Christ gave gifts to men out of his grace. He gave the church certain men like apostles and pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. He gave gifts to the church so that the church could work together to display the manifold wisdom of God. Inside each and every church, there are those with certain gifts and those with other certain gifts. Each and every one of those members is necessary for the church to do the work of the ministry. A church cannot survive if its members neglect to use their gifts. In just a few chapters later, in chapter 12, Paul will argue that the church is a body, and how can one body part say to another that they aren't necessary? We cannot function properly as a body if our members are not working together. Be encouraged in that. You are needed at this church. It is with great necessity that comes great responsibility. I need you. The pastors need you. If you are a member of this church, we need you. The gifts that God has given you help to sanctify this church. God is sanctifying this church as he was in Corinth with the gifts that he has given us. He has given us different gifts and different strengths. He's given those to different churches. Uh, churches look different than this church. Uh, before we write off another church for not doing things the way that we do them, maybe we should consider uh, that that church has been gifted differently. Perhaps that perspective would help us to pray 
for other churches and other Christians. He has given gifts to his church so that we do not lack anything. And he finishes this thought in verse 7, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. Friends, history is moving to an end point. History may repeat itself, but it is leading somewhere. Christ will return. And until then, he has given gifts to build each other up. Uh, Paul doesn't see gifts as a tool or a thing simply to entertain ourselves or to keep us busy. He sees them as a means of advancing history that Christ has given to build his church and to get ready for that day when he returns. And Paul in verse 8 says that the Lord will sustain us to the end, guiltless in the day of Christ Jesus. So Paul is thankful that this church at Corinth has been saved. He is thankful that they are being sanctified. And he is lastly thankful that they will be sustained to the very end. One day the Lord will be revealed, as he says there, to us in sight as he returns. He, he will keep us to that day. He will sustain his people despite enemies and even immaturities. He will keep for himself a remnant, no matter what this country or any country becomes. The church, this church, Christ's church, will not be overcome by the gates of hell. His people, and ultimately, uh, ultimately on the final day, his people will be found guiltless because he is keeping them. In Christ, there is no condemnation. We will be guiltless on that final day. There will be a day when the Lord Jesus returns, and until that day, he has given us gifts and commissioned us to use them. We must use our gifts as he has given us. They are rich. We are rich with them, as he said, enriched with gifts. So we must use them. And he has promised to help us use them. And that's a promise, not from me, but from verse 9. Paul says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. Perhaps no three better words. God is faithful. Faithful to save, faithful to sanctify, and faithful to sustain. He, God the Father, called us, as he says there, into the fellowship of his Son. Because of our faith in the person and work of Christ, we have fellowship with him. We are sons and daughters of the Father, brothers and sisters with Christ, joint heirs to his reward in heaven. Paul's thankful for the church despite all of her, her flaws because God has worked among this church. Notice everything that he has to say in these five verses has happened to the Corinthians. Grace was given to them. They have been enriched. The testimony was confirmed among them. They were given gifts so that they would not lack anything. They were given those gifts and they will be sustained and they will ultimately be found guiltless. Every one of these things has happened to them. They are passive verbs in the passive voice. I don't have to take you to the original Greek to tell you that. I must confess I didn't know what a passive verb or passive voice was until I took Greek 1 and 2, but now I read them in the English and I see it. They didn't do these things to themselves. They cannot sustain themselves. No less could they sanctify themselves apart from God's gifts. No less could they save themselves apart from grace that was given to them through Christ Jesus. Paul is clear that they could not have saved themselves. They needed grace. He is faithful because we are faithless. God is faithful to sustain his church. He will our church not from anything we have done or will ever do, but because he is faithful to his promises. When Paul thought about the Corinthian church, he thought first and foremost about how thankful he was that God 
uh, was faithful to them. No matter how hard they tried, God did not leave them. They had many things to work on, but God is faithful. We have many things to work on as a church. The other faithful churches in our town and those we partner with around the world have many things to work on. We often forget the significance of what God has done and is doing in our fellow Christians and churches. We should be thankful. We should uh, thank God and be encouraged that he is saving, sanctifying, and sustaining churches and Christians all around the world. And we should make it a regular practice to pray our thankfulness that God is doing these things in churches that we know and churches that we partner with and churches that will happen because of what he is doing, that he is faithful. We should regularly pray for churches we may disagree with because we understand that God has worked among them. When we think about other churches, let us look on them like Paul and be thankful because God is faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful and humbled tonight that you have given us much grace. We do pray that we would think about other Christians and other churches rightly, as you would have us to think about them, that those are people that have been called out, your children, out of darkness into light. I pray that we would be thankful for that and that would motivate our prayers. It's in Christ's name. Amen.